How are states trying to bigfoot your ERISA business? And what strategies and tactics do you need to know? We'll find out on part one of this two-part episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. How can you be the first to know about each week's podcast and get on the list for special listener-only content? It's simple. Go to shiftshapersonline.com and click the subscribe button. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking with Brooks Goodison. Brooks is president of Diversified Group. Diversified Group is one of the most forward-looking and forward-thinking TPAs in the country. And one of the reasons that we wanted to invite Brooks onto the program is because he's a really interesting student of a, a bunch of aspects of the business that we don't talk about a lot. And every time I talk with Brooks, I learn something, and I wanted to to expose him to you guys as well. So with that, welcome, Brooks. Thank you very much, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Let's start with a level set. I mean, with ACA and with other external pressures, there have been lots of interest in self-insurance, some folks who maybe hadn't touched it for years, or for some people, it's completely new. And we've talked about that a bunch on the program, We and we've spoken about those opportunities But what seems to be happening in the government game of whack-a-mole is now that this has become prominent, some states are starting to look at this and trying to figure out ways to either control it or tamp it down. And what have you learned about that? Well, in Connecticut, primarily, which is where we're based, I think we're very similar to many other states now. New York is our neighbor to the West, who has been very active in the stop-loss area. What the states are doing now, they are trying to protect their exchanges. They believe that pretty much all of the groups should be in their exchanges and they need the healthy and the not so healthy in those exchanges. And the states have had a very difficult time, both Connecticut, New York, California, Maryland has taken a a shot at this. There are certainly others that aren't coming to mind right away. They've taken several runs at the ERISA approach, you know, trying to impose their jurisdiction, if you will, over self-insured health plans and have had little success. And I think there are a lot of folks out there, including myself initially, that believed, hey, we're self-insured. We are governed by ERISA, which is federal. We don't have to worry about what the states do, which is all good and true. The back door of which some of these states have figured out is one very good control over self-insured groups that they can impose their will on is through the stop-loss contract. So a lot of the groups that we administer for are, you know, under 500 employees, so they clearly need stop-loss. Self-funding wouldn't be a viable option for them otherwise. And stop-loss are all covered by state insurance department and state statute. So we've seen here in Connecticut that the states have tried to 
increase the minimum stop loss deductible. Not too long ago, the state of Connecticut had a minimum stop loss deductible of $6,000 and that was maybe 25 years old. And we've been doing this here since 1967. I joined the organization in 1995. And so that's about 21 years. I don't think we've ever sold a spec deductible below 20,000. So the market was already at 20,000. The state's minimum was at six. The state came in preemptively to raise it to 30, I believe it was, was the original ask. And we had to hire a lobbyist in order to get quick access, efficient access to the state of Connecticut in order to get a dialogue going with the powers that be to to have some discussions around what does that mean and who are they impacting. We had to reach out to employer groups in ways that we've never had to have communications with them before about the risk, about stop loss, which was uncomfortable at first because it was new. But these employers caught on very quickly what was happening, and they were able to work with us in letter writing. They were able to work with us in phone calls and conversations. And through the legislative process, we were able to at least get it to 20000 which we felt wasn't going to hurt us much or our clients. But now the camel's nose is in the tent, if you will. And every year we have to watch to see what else the state of Connecticut is, is going to come up with. Similar troubles in New York State. New York State, SIA, who is the Self-Insured Institute of America, a group that we're very active with, has been uh, really leading the charge here on the state level. It's a new role for them as well, relatively new. They're used to acting on the federal level, but now have to pay attention to the states because the states are doing what we're talking about here today. Essentially, what's happening in New York is New York, the state of New York is trying to make it so that a group that is under 100 employees cannot self-insure. We have a, a lot of customers in that state that are in that range, you know, 50, 60, 80, 100. And the state of, of New York wants those people in their fully insured exchanges, and they are going to eliminate the ability for New York business to self-insure under 100 employees. What's the likelihood of that passing? What does it look like right now? Well, right now, it's already it's a done deal, if you will. Technically, it isn't, and Sai is still working on it to try to get it reintroduced. And I don't have a great handle on all of the intimate details of what Sai has been up to, but they've taken probably two or three passes through the legislative session without a good outcome. I think the best we've got right now is a is a bit of a grandfathering period, where some of these groups that are under a hundred can stay put. Presumably, there's going to be some additional discussions and maybe some new new legislation introduced in the state of New York where some of these groups might have an opportunity to continue on. It seems, in my opinion, that New York is not really going to have any any movement. SIA has been very diligent. They've taken multiple angles, multiple approaches, brought in multiple companies that, that have a lot of self-insured business up there. We've been up there ourselves to meet with the legislators directly. There doesn't seem to be a lot of energy to let this go. I believe that it's going to stand at 100. I'd love to be proven wrong. Do you suspect that as New York rolls this out, that it will embolden other states? Or do you think the states, at least from what we've seen so far, are going to take more of a, okay, minimum stop loss, deductible levels, et cetera, approach as Connecticut has done? 
there will be all of the above. We already have seen an emboldened process here happening. I think it really started with the state of California. I think they originally tried to raise their minimum stop loss deductible to 95,000, which is outrageous for small groups to uh, be. It effectively removes the opportunity of self-funding from them. And the struggle is the regulators often don't understand what it is that they're regulating. At least that's been my experience in the discussions. I assumed when I would go and meet with these folks that they would have a, a solid command over over what it is that they were doing. Really, it seems as though to me that they're trying to protect the exchanges and they have no concern whatsoever over what self-insured plans are trying to do. That That is not in their realm of concern. The self-insured plans, it's been proven over and over that they're able to provide excellent benefits. They are not skimpy or skinny or cut down plans. These employers are offering, using self-insurance to offer, you know, excellent coverage as good or even better than what's regulated by the states in most cases, on my experience. And they're doing well and they're able to provide those benefits cost effectively. And we've made this argument to the states. You get some legislators, perhaps the ones that are, when you are their constituent, that may be sympathetic to that. But on a larger platform, it really becomes a struggle to say, hey, why would you, as a state, take away an option from employers that is clearly working well, and they really don't have a great answer for that? And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, And over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Someone once said that the government's motto generally is, if it ain't broke, fix it till it is. (laughs) It certainly seems as though that's that route. Let's move along to another tool that I'd like to get your opinion on. I know a lot of folks had a lot of hope about private exchanges. I think some of it, as it turns out, may have been a little bit misplaced. But talk a little bit about private exchanges. And the first aspect is a lot of folks thought they were brand new, that they were this new shiny thing. Are they? No. I I think the only thing that's new is, is the use of the word exchange. If an exchange is a synonym for marketplace, so marketplace is nothing new. So there's a lot of really great things about exchanges slash marketplaces. So I really do like the idea that someone could go online, they could have their open enrollment, they, you know, all of their relevant selections are there. There's, it's easier to provide choice to employees in these marketplaces, if you will. 
I think that that brings a lot of opportunity to the extent that you can get folks to use online technology, which is, which has been a struggle despite what some might think is an obvious, easy way to handle enrollment. But in an area where I've always struggled with the idea of exchanges was initially, shortly after the passage of ACA, they were pushed or talked about, if you will, in a way that they were somehow going to lower healthcare costs or health insurance costs, which maybe in some way that I'm just not familiar with, they did. But one thing that I'm absolutely sure of is they don't lower doctor's bills or hospital bills, and they don't change the risk dynamic for a carrier. So there was no way to actually lower the acquisition cost of health care. That made it a challenge for these things. What what they ultimately did, and I think was maybe sold improperly, was that they could benchmark, the employer could say, we're going to have X amount of, or have a bucket of money that you can spend on your health insurance. Let's say it's $2,000 a year just to grab a number. And here's your, here's your bucket of money. Do whatever you want with it. And then the idea was that that's all the employer is ever going to spend on health insurance for the rest of time. And if you don't think about it any further than that, that sounds like a brilliant idea. I'll just limit it to $2,000 a year or $5,000 a year, whatever the number is. So the trouble is, is that healthcare still clicks along at double digit inflation every year. And I say that in, in the, in medical and pharmacy for sure. Pharmacy perhaps more than that. So if the cost of acquisition of care and the cost to ensure the risk is still going along at the same rate it was before, and you're going to anchor your cost as an employer to that fixed amount, $5,000, that means that any increase that comes down the pipe is going to be borne 100% by your employees. Now, I'm a business owner. I have people that come to work every single day. We are a for-profit company. And I like those people to be here, to be happy, to be healthy, to do a good job for our customers, take very good care of them, and ultimately with the idea that we would make money for our, for the company. If my people are worried about their healthcare costs, can't make ends meet, costs are out of control, the money we have to take out of their paycheck is bigger and bigger every single year, they're not going to be able to do a good job taking care of our customers, which is their primary function. So I struggle with, and I always have, about how is an exchange going to actually change the trajectory of healthcare cost without taking it completely out of my employees' pockets, whether it's increased deductibles, increased premiums, changing all the time, or all of the above. And we'll come back to that in a little bit because I, I want to delve into that a little bit deeper. But you mentioned pharmacies as one of the cost drivers. Hospitals, I mean, anybody who who's read uh, this week's Wall Street Journal was a great article on what actual hospital costs are versus what they bill. For example, as I recall from the article, an MRI, the real cost to the hospital is about 100 bucks, And we all know what kind of four-digit numbers those things get billed at. With all of that going on and with increased personal responsibility, the question that gets asked of advisors a lot is, okay, great. I can't change those things right now. How do I move the needle on costs? So what are some strategies and tactics that you're seeing that have been effective? Starting with the the easiest, uh, some of the easiest strategies, we've seen employers moving towards shopping tools 
where a lot of employers have moved to high deductible health plans where the plan members, the employees and their families have skin in the game. And there are shopping tools out there like Healthcare Blue Book, Real-Time Choices, Vitals, things of that nature, where the data on cost is available now largely for for most everything. And, I, and we, we see it able to be used now in a practical way with certain elective procedures and, and including some incentives. So for example, one of the things that we've, we've seen is an opportunity using real time choices, which is powered by healthcare blue book, where I love this. We've been watching it for, for many, many years and the price point was a little bit high. And now I think the price point has come down where it's affordable to most. So let's set the table here. You have a health savings account. You have a $2,500 single deductible and you are looking to get an MRI of your knee because uh, you play in too much tennis trying to stay in good shape and now your knee's starting to bother you. When you're in the doctor's office and you say, gee, doc, my knee is killing me. You know, what do you think? And the doc is looking at your knee and he says, you know, you know, Brooks, I, I think I'd like to send you to get an MRI of that knee. Okay. Right at that moment, is where the decision is going to be made about where is Brooks going to get his MRI. And I don't have a laptop in the doctor's office with me. I don't have my computer or my desktop there. But what I do have is my cell phone. I think everybody has a cell phone, a smartphone that they take almost everywhere with them. So these apps, you can open them right up in front of your doctor and say, Doc, just a second. My doctor is actually very good because he'll ask me, where do you want to go? for an MRI or a chest x-ray or your lab work. And I'll say, doc, you know, just give me a second. I put in my zip code of where I'm at, pulls it up, MRI of the knee, look it up, and it comes up a list of green providers, yellow providers, and red providers. And the greens are the least expensive and the reds are the most expensive. And then there's quality metrics in there too, because we don't want to just drive everybody to the lowest quality provider. And I say, doc, Here's a list of providers that I can use for my MRI. And this one right here is maybe 10 miles down the road, and they're a green provider. Are you comfortable, doc, sending me to that provider? And the doctor's going to look at the provider right there and say, yes, we work with them all the time. I'd be glad to send the order in. So you had the data at the time when you were going to make the decision. And that's huge. In addition, for our employees, we actually pay them to use those green providers. So in the instance of an MRI, we might pay them $100 to use the green MRIs. If they use it, they get a $100 check, which helps them with their expenses and incentivizes them at the right place at the right time at the time you're going to make that decision, which is a huge new role for smartphones. We interviewed Eric Topol um, and his great book, The Patient Will See You Now, and Eric's entire thesis is that smartphones, because they're so ubiquitous and because they can be used, as you say, at the right place at the right time, are going to be one of the single biggest drivers in some of the early change uh, in this area. So we're all aligned. We're all thinking the same way. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. 